Welcome to All Sides. I'm your host, Anna Staber. Ohio's school buses transport more than 700,000 children each year. Statistically, it's safer than driving your kid to school. But Ohio decided to review whether more could be done to protect our children after a fatal collision in August killed 11-year-old Aiden Clark and sent 23 others to the hospital. Clark was ejected from his bus, bringing renewed attention to the lack of seatbelts on board. A task force spent months taking testimony and coming up with 17 school bus safety recommendations, notably not on the list of proposed changes, mandatory seatbelts. Coming up, we're talking about school bus safety. And joining us now is Ohio Department of Public Safety Director Andy Wilson. He chaired the 15-member Ohio School Bus Working Group, and he joins us now. Welcome to All Sides. Good morning, Anna. Thank you for having me. Let's start with an easy question. Tell us about the working group. Who was on it? What kind of experts did you hear from? Basically, what were you doing for the last couple of months? Well, sure. Immediately after the crash, as a matter of fact, I, I was with the governor at a memorial service for the uh, the Northwestern student, and I, I saw the governor interact uh, with the child's parents, and the, the governor and I had uh, several conversations right after that crash, and his emphasis was on, look, Andy, I, I know I know buses are safe. We know buses are safe, but we have an obligation as the government to make sure that we bring experts from across the state, from across the nation, and look at our school buses and, and examine those buses and make sure, make sure that there's nothing else we can do to, to make those buses safer. We have an obligation to ensure that when a parent puts their child on that bus, that they know that those buses are as safe as they possibly can be. And he said, look, I want you to pull together a, a group of experts. We're going to study this issue. And I want you, if, if there are recommendations to be made uh, at the end of your study, I want you to make those recommendations with respect to, to making this a, a safer mode of transportation. And so you chaired this task force, but there was a parent, there was a school bus driver, there was folks from the highway safety uh, department who actually like in go out and expect inspect the buses. So you guys had a nice cross-section of folks on this committee. We did. And that was a demand from from the governor. He said, look, we're just not going to bring government people in to look at this. He said, I want a cross-section. I want experts from every possible vantage point to come in and look at our school buses and make sure that they're as safe as, as they can possibly be. And, and the governor was really passionate about practitioners. He wanted folks who were in the trenches every day doing this work to be able to give us feedback, the policymakers feedback on what they're seeing and what's important to them. Uh, what was really important to the governor was that we have the, the voices of bus drivers heard. And and he said, look, you got to put a bus driver on there. You have to hear from from bus drivers. So we had Davida Russell from from up north. She uh, she was a key member of the working group. We had mechanics. We had school district staff. Uh, it really was a nice cross-section of experts and, and people who have subject matter expertise in the field to come and examine these important issues with respect to the safety of our children. And you guys came up with 17 proposed changes that can make school buses safe safer, but the one that was not on the list is the one we're going to start with. So the big question when the bus safety group was brought together was whether it would make seatbelts mandatory on buses. Uh, and 
I believe you thought there was a good chance that might be one of the recommendations. So how did you guys end up deciding that this should be left to school districts? I did. And in all transparency, you know, I I tried to come into this working group, especially as a chair, with an open mind. Look, we're going to hear all sides of the issues. But if I'm being honest, I I thought, look, we're probably going to come out the backside with a recommendation for these buses or to mandate that all buses have seatbelts. And it, it just comes from what we know from our day to day. Every time I get in my car, I put my seatbelt on. Every time I get in my car, I tell my kids to put their seatbelt on. So it, it felt like it was just going to make sense uh, out the back, uh, out the back side of this this working group. But as we got into it, and we heard from the people who deal with uh, the safety of our kids on these buses every day, we looked at other districts or districts that had done pilots in this space. We listened to experts uh, on the issue of seatbelts. It became apparent that the deeper we got into the issue that a, a sta- statewide manda- mandate uh, that all buses have seat belts is probably, number one, not a good use of, of government resources, maybe not the best use of government resources to keep our, our kids safe. And number two, it certainly could create unintended consequences that actually could negatively impact safety in in some districts. So it was really kind of fascinating as as we as we looked at it. What we heard with respect to to safety on our buses is that uh, our our drivers uh, were concerned and, and the folks who operate the buses were were concerned with avoiding the crashes to begin with. So obviously we know the best way to keep our kids safe is to avoid or prevent the crash on the front end. And as the experts came in and, and gave presentations, there is, there's a lot of safety equipment out there on the market that is designed to help avoid those crashes on the front end, not just keep kids safe inside the buses when the crash happens, but help prevent the crash on, on the front end. Clearly, in, in rollover crashes and high, in certain high-speed crashes, you know, seatbelts are going to keep our kids safe. And look, there are, there are districts out there that run routes, uh, rural routes, hilly routes, routes where the, the road is, is, has steep drop-offs. Um, interstate, if they're going to run students to, to field trips on, on the interstate or sporting events on the interstate, you know, those school districts certainly should look at putting seatbelts on a portion of, of their buses to keep their kids safe. But as we looked at it, we, we just, as a group, uh, began to, to hit the conclusion that look, there, there's probably better ways or better expenditures to keep our kids safe overall. I'll give you a, a great example. So I, I've been, you know, I'm, I'm all over the state, and, and I was driving in a an, an urban school district right as the sun was coming. It was still kind of dark, and I saw a, a bus that was in in front of me, and I noticed I never would have noticed this before I, I started with this <laughs> this working group. I noticed that the bus looked dark. Now it had all of the mandatory minimum light requirements. It, it clearly met the, the the state standards, but as I looked at that bus, I'm like, that bus just doesn't appear to be. It's not. It doesn't stand out. There was no reflective tape on it. There was no flashing lights. Um, now it was a it was a city bus, probably running. It was running on very flat streets, probably running a route that was no more than thirty five miles an hour. Um, so for what we know again from the work of the working group is that the kids inside that bus, if they were to be hit under those con- conditions or there was a crash under those conditions, those buses are designed to keep those kids safe. So those kids are going to be safe even without the, the, the seat belts. 
But if we could spend money to help them with extra lighting or lighted stop arms or reflective tape or paint or LED lights that would make those buses more visible on the route, the specific routes that they they run, those are the type of options or the types of uh, flexibility that we we hope that our recommendation of this grant program uh, provides for school districts. Yeah, and just for context, Ohio has about 15,000 school buses in its districts. There are over 600 districts. So, I mean, it's a lot of districts. It's a lot of school boards. It's a lot of school buses. Correct. And each district, each school has its own unique needs. And really, I, I think what I'd hope to see come out of this working group is each district do a safety assessment, and they do this, but but really kind of go back and look at the routes that their buses operate on. And you may have you may have a mixed district where, let's say, like a Waverly, Ohio. So the, the majority of the buses are, half of their buses may run inside Waverly proper, which is 25 to 35 mile an hour, pretty safely graded streets. But then the other half may go out into the, into the, the country a little bit and run up in the hills and pick kids up. Look, Instead of mandating that all of their buses have to have seatbelts, you know, they should have the flexibility to use some grant money to maybe put seatbelts on the, the buses that are going out into the country while, you know, other safety features on, on these other buses. It's all about arming these individual districts with the equipment and the, the expertise that, that they need to deal with their specific or unique needs. So the fatal bus accident in August appears to have been caused by a minivan that hit the bus. The driver's been charged, um, which means that the bus driver was not at fault in this situation. And that seems to be the case for a lot of school bus accidents. So one of the recommendations that your group made was to increase penalties for those who are at fault in these kinds of accidents, right? That is correct. So, you know... As we looked at the crashes involving buses, the overwhelming majority of these buses are caused by other drivers who are who are hitting buses. As a matter of fact, when I talked to some of the families whose children were involved in the in the Northwestern crash, that was one of the things that they kept bringing up time and time again: is look, somebody hit this bus. They they, they caused this crash, and you know what what are we doing to make sure that people are operating their vehicles more safely around buses or around school zones. So part of the work we did uh, in this working group was to, to look at uh, the loss pertaining to operating a vehicle really kind of recklessly uh, around buses or in school zones. And then there was a, there was a survey done as part of the, the, the working group or one of the associations uh, presented to the working group. So the maximum fine, if you go around a bus uh, that's stopped. The, when it has that stop sign that comes the, out of the side of the bus. Right. That clearly is telling you to stop. And it's clearly there because uh, we need you to stop to keep these kids safe until they're safely on or off off the bus. You know, it's it's you know, people people ignore that all the time. Really? Putting our kids at risk. And and there's tickets issued for that. The maximum fine, again, is, is $500. But what we found uh, in a survey from up in northwest Ohio, they, they did a survey of a bunch of the courts up there, is the judges aren't even giving anything close to, to the maximum fine. I think the, the range was a $25 ticket up to a $250 ticket. Now, we're talking about the safety of our kids. That's what we're talking about. And it's it's really one of the biggest vehicles on the road. You You can't stop and sit for a little bit until that kid gets safely on or off you would i promise you you would want 
somebody to stop for your your kid. So, uh, so yeah. So one of the the recommendations is we re- we really need to look at do we set a minimum mandatory fine or you know do we make it per, it's called per se do we make it per se reckless if you violate one of these laws in a school zone or around a bus. And Add additional points to your license. That you could kind of do thing. that absolutely, or if you cause an injury, it, it make it per se reckless, and now you're on the hook for the vehicular assault, vehicular manslaughter, ag vehicular manslaughter, whatever that, whatever that is. Another recommendation dealt with bus drivers and uh, getting them additional training, professional development opportunities. Um, is that just that trying to anticipate these crashes? Now, I, I want to be clear, we're not laying any kind of blame on the driver in the specific case that we've been talking about, but just in general, things they could do to help like prevent a crash before it happens. So Davida Russell, who was a working group member, she did a survey of over 1,100 bus drivers and asked them a variety of questions. That's a good sample size. It is, <laughs> pertaining to the work that, that we do. One of the, the themes that we saw throughout her survey was that our bus drivers actually want more meaningful training. And really what they want is they want hands-on, realistic, advanced driver's training focused around defensive driving, focused around how they can take evasive action to avoid the crashes or how they can keep their kids safe. And there's no, there's absolutely no substitute for realistic scenario-based training when it comes to really anything but our, our bus drivers. And we need to increase our capacity to do this type of training. Those bus drivers need to, to be put through or at least have the opportunity to be put through quick reaction drills. You know, how to how to maneuver that bus to avoid a crash. What that bus feels like when it's getting kind of top heavy or you're, it's starting to slide out on you. And and we have an obligation to the state to to make sure that we are continuing to increase our capacity to do that. And that is again, we're we're not laying blame anywhere. Again, the overwhelming majority of these crashes are the fault of the other other driver. We're listening to the bus drivers who say, "Hey, look, we'd like to have more training in this space so that we can better protect our kids." The other thing that stood out to me, you talk about bus drivers. And I, I, I talked about this at some point during the working group. I, I have two children. They're both in high school, 17 and, and 14, uh, 17 and 15. My 17-year-old drives to school. My 15-year-old takes the bus to school. 17-year-old is way higher risk for injury, driving her own car to, to, to school. My my 15-year-old who who rides the bus, you know, I, I see her get on that bus. I wave to the bus driver. I never really thought about the bus driver. It's just the lady that takes my kid to school. <laughs> What I have realized through this work is that the, the number one concern for our drivers, our bus drivers, is the safety of the kids. And they are absolutely passionate about keeping our kids safe. And Jessica Mead, who was the, the, the parent that was on the working group, she said something that I, I thought was great. She said, you know, one of the things that I think is most important or that I've learned to, to be most important out of this working group is our recommendations need to give the bus drivers the, the tools, the training, and the resources so that they can keep the kids safe the way they want to keep the kids safe. And, and I thought that was a great statement. So these, these, these bus drivers care passionately about our kids. And we also want to hear from you this hour. Do you think seatbelts should be mandatory on buses? What do you make of some of these proposed safety changes? You can call 614-292-8513 or email allsides at wosu.org. 
And I want to ask about some of these proposed safety changes, these extra uh, lights and reflective tape. What what are you guys recommending we do to make the buses more visible on the road? So there, there. If if people look at the the working report, which is online, there is a list of extra safety features that we put in a, in appendix. Um, and again, that's not all encompassing, but there there are a lot of different things out on the market. So there's stability control. There's lane departure early warning, lane departure features. So just like just like oh, like all, in a car, exactly like our cars have now. I just got a new car, and it does that weird beep 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 if my blinker's not on, and I like try it like I'm veering towards one lane or the other. Yes. You know, they, they need to dial some of this stuff back. I, my car, I, I have the same thing in my car. Sometimes it feels like I'm wrestling my car because it's trying <laughs> I to. I know exactly yeah. what you're talking like, about. Oh, they, they need to dial that back a little bit. But but those are the. Or the blind spot like alerts. Yes. Those are really nice. Though. Absolutely. Well, they have look, they have those same types of features for, for buses. Blind spots are a, a big issue with, with oh, buses yeah. because they're so. They're much they're bigger so vehicles. Long. Absolutely. So when we talked to the bus drivers, those were the type of, of safety features that they were really interested in. Um, and again, you know, they, they, they weren't anti seatbelt per se, but one of the things that we kept hearing, a couple of concerns that we kept hearing were number one is the thought of me getting in a crash and the bus catching on fire and yeah. the kids being belted in and, and being responsible for trying to get those kids out of their belts. We heard that particularly theme. elementary school kids. Absolutely. So my kids are six and eight and I can tell you my six-year-old still sometimes gets frustrated trying to buckle herself in and out. She has like a booster seat that uses our seatbelt. She gets frustrated sometimes because she can't get it on and off. Right. So, and again, that's that, that there are, there are workarounds and, and that shouldn't be something that absolutely stops a school district that thinks belts are, are appropriate from, from getting their, their, their belts. They just need to make sure that they, they have their policies and they have the equipment and the training for the bus drivers to, to deal with those emergency situations when when they happen. Um, another issue, one of the one of the districts that came in that was running a pilot, they had a policy where if a kid got out of the the belt while the bus was moving, the driver had to pull the bus over, stop, and get the kid back <laughs> oh in, my the, in the belt. Well, that that creates a problem, a safety issue in and of itself. The other thing too is, is extends the route time. I'm sure too extends the route time, makes the bus a sitting target on, on the road for somebody who's distracted, not paying attention. All of a sudden, ran, runs into the the bus that's pulled over the side of the road. So you know, there there were when I said we were trying to minimize uh, some of the collateral issues that come with seatbelts. Those were some of the the topics or some of the issues that that we were presented with. Again, there is no doubt that seatbelts can make our kids safer, especially in rollover crashes or high-speed crashes. And in school districts uh, that run routes that that are at risk for rollover or run routes that uh, require their buses to run at higher speeds certainly should look at that as an option uh, for these grants or option for spending money. I, I found this interesting. Uh, over 60% of our districts have at least one large bus, and a large bus is what we think of the big yellow buses. It's over 10,000 pounds. At least 60% of Ohio's districts already have at least one bus in their district that hmm. has seatbelts on it. So they're, they're looking in that space. That was Andy Wilson, the director of the Department of Public Safety. Thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Coming up, we're talking with a state lawmaker who wants to mandate seatbelts on buses. That's when All Sides continues on 89.7 NPR News.
Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, we're taking center stage. Introducing NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of Black-led stories from NPR's podcasts. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to All Sides. I'm your host, Anna Staver. A school bus safety tax force convened here in Ohio after a fatal bus crash last August. The task force recommended more training, increased driver benefits, and new safety features, but it didn't recommend mandatory seatbelts on buses. This comes after 11-year-old Aiden Clark was ejected from his bus on that first day of school after a minivan crashed into them. 23 other passengers were injured. The accident renewed calls for mandatory belts on buses, and joining us now is Republican Representative Bernie Willis of Springfield. He lives about two miles from the crash site and is the sponsor of legislation that would mandate seatbelts. Welcome to All Sides, Representative. How are you, Anna? Good to have you. We're going to be on with you today. Thank you. I remember how hard it was for me as a parent to put my daughters on the bus the morning after Aiden Clark died. It, it hurt. It Like, for a moment, I didn't want to. Even though I knew driving them to school was statistically riskier, it, it just, you know, it hurt, like, in my gut. And I have to imagine those feelings were so much more intense in your community. Yes, ma'am. It was painful in our district because that is actually my school district. You know, that's, um, that's Northwestern High School and Middle School, and that district is you know, just a few extra miles past where that accident happened. And those are my neighbors, you know, Northwestern school buses go by my house every day, multiple times. And those are my neighbors. Those are, you know, people that I I see and go to church with. And so it was, it's a really difficult time. Of course, there was a lot of emotion um, surrounding everything that happened with that. But I felt like we had the, the real mandate at that point to go and figure out how to immediately make some kind of impact on what, after the governor announced he was going to have a working group and a you know task force assigned to, to look at all of the factors and things that we can do, but to have a piece of legislation that was kind of sitting in committee already so that the committee members could start getting educated on the things that were surrounding this issue. And once the task force came back with some recommendations, then we could actually do something uh, in a little faster manner to get something moving in the legislature. I want to remind folks that we want to hear from you this hour as well. Where do you come down on seatbelts and other safety recommendations? You can give us a call at 614-292-8513. And I want to quickly take a call from Becky in Dublin. Hi. Good morning. Um, I was commenting on your last speaker. I'm wholeheartedly in favor of additional training and anything else you can do with the bus or for the driver to make them a safer driver and a safer environment. But seatbelts save lives. And we've been told this for years and years in our automobiles. And why we have lacked the political will to, to provide school districts with the money needed to retrofit our buses is beyond my comprehension. Thank you. Thank you. So, Representative, can you walk us through what House Bill 279 would do? 
Well, in its current form, House Bill 279 really was just a placeholder. I mean, I come from an, a long aviation background in the Air Force, Air National Guard, Air Force Reserve, and, you know, got the great opportunity to fly F-16s for most, most of my career in that role was steeped in safety every day and so after being an actual safety officer and a safety investigator and um, having seen those things from an aviation perspective i always look at things to look at root causes and what some of the you know corrective actions can be because in our aviation world we would say that a lot of the rules and regulations were written in blood and in this case we you know had something that happened that spilled the blood of an 11 year old um, and we had a loss of life and so we had to start boiling down to the simplest terms of what the safety professionals across the community um, would say that was the easiest solution and the easiest one of those solutions um, from not only just, you know, let's looking at it from a state effort, but a nationwide effort um, has to do with seatbelts. And one of the keys that I would like to, to kind of point out in kind of what your intro said and what the task force recommendations say at the top of the list of recommended safety items is seatbelts. And the only thing that the task force um, said truly that had to do with seatbelts is that they didn't agree that a mandate was the best use of state funds. That did not mean that they didn't agree that seatbelts are the safest. And I recommend everyone go to the uh, Department of Public Safety site and download the task force report so that you can actually see what all the details are inside there. And what you will see is a lot of positive information about the possibility of saving lives with those seatbelts on buses. The, the key point is, and you know, the governor is kind of at the point where he doesn't want to say that you, that you have to do anything. So there are some other things that came out of the task force recommendations, I think that highlight the fact that, and, and one of the personal questions that I asked when I got to go visit the task force was, please tell us what the gold standard is for a school bus. And so if you look in the report, there are 13 safety features recommended in there. Again, at the top of the list is seat belts, but there are 12 other things in there that will make us a, a school bus extremely safe and you know, help to um, alleviate other problems that come from loss of control situations. And there's you know, lots of things on there. The thing that kind of um, disheartened me a bit was the part where we we let emotion take over a little bit in the study and in the you know kind of bringing together all of the pertinent data that would surround us to the point where someone at the press conference asked the question um, if you know we had talked to the bus driver that was involved in this and the bus driver that was involved in it you know had said to them you know he asked them please don't put seatbelts on school buses because I wouldn't want to have to cut all of those seatbelts um, away if all if the bus catches on fire and I have to get all those kids out of there I don't want to have to worry about cutting all those seatbelts and the second thing that I had kind of asked them to do was not let um, the fear of something happen limit the uh, recommendation mm -hmm. because technology has shown us lots of neat things I mean I I got, again, for 15 years, I got to fly an F-16, and if I had an emergency, I could push my thumb through a plastic cover that pressed a red button, and that red button would make everything on the aircraft come off of it if I needed to reduce the weight of the aircraft. If I needed to get out of the aircraft, I pulled one handle, and the you know, magical sequence of events popped me out, and a second and a half later, I would be underneath a parachute and safe. So technology has the ability to remove all of these other limitations that we might have where a school bus driver, I told them, a school bus driver should not have to worry about doing anything but driving. 
And if there's anything else that we can do to help fund bus aides, uh, the superintendent in that district or former superintendent in that school district told me if he had the ability to put school to put seatbelts on and to put a, a bus aid to help with the seatbelt issue on every bus, he would do it. And of course, that's a money issue. And I told all of them, please don't worry about the money. That's our job in the legislature to figure out. But tell us what the gold standard is. And then please take out any fears of your ability to do things by letting us then ask industry, how can technology help save, you know, take care of that situation? I think there should be a red button, a guarded red button in the school bus driver's, you know, hand distance that he can, he or she can push through and press the button that releases all of the seatbelts in case that needs to happen. And so it's one of the things that I think is a little bit of a drawback. And most people only heard the fact that it didn't sound, at least from the messaging, that the that the task force was supporting seatbelts on school buses, and that's just not the case. If you read the report and you actually talk to them, you'll realize that that's their number one safety feature on the list. It's just a matter of how we implement it. I want to take a call from Christy in Reynoldsburg. Welcome to All Sides. Hello. I just want to state that um, semis, airplanes, automobiles, everything moving basically we wear seat belts and i just find it ludicrous that we don't in school buses for our children and i mean basically i just i don't understand why um my my main question is why what is the reason behind that um is it a money thing is it a money issue like installing the seat belt i just i just don't understand it so that's basically all i want to say Let's talk about the costs, because I do think that is one of the things that gets cited as a reason maybe why we wouldn't do this. So the Ohio Department of Education and Workforce Director, Steve Dakin, said adding seatbelts to a bus would cost about $19,000 per bus, whereas 12 other safety features that this task force recommended would cost about $13,000 per bus. So essentially, seatbelts cost more than all the other safety features combined. But, I mean, you know, I looked at the fiscal analysis of your bill, and they put it between $282 million and $376 million to add these seatbelts. That's a lot of money, but in a 88-ish billion-dollar budget, it's, it's not as much, I guess, as one might think. Is, am I thinking about that right, contextually, in terms of the size of Ohio's state budget? No, and I think you're right on track. And, and just to clarify... Um, there, you know, the numbers have fluctuated a little bit, but you're, I appreciate the fact that you looked at the fiscal analysis because that was important and people immediately raised the issue of how are you going to pay for it? I mean, the biggest feedback that I got with um, House Bill 279 was um, this is an unfunded mandate. And at the time it was. And so I asked them, I said, um, considering fact, and I think you even, even said it, if I look at, you know, the larger picture of our statewide operating budget was technically $191 billion. So over $95 billion per year. Um, that's, you know, even at the numbers that were in that um, analysis, it's a very large, small number in comparison to our budget. So again, it becomes to a prioritizing thing. The other part of that is um, the numbers that then came out, and I appreciate the fact that the task force, you know, working group, they were able to pull together what I think are now the best refined numbers on what these things do cost. And so I was sitting there at the press conference doing, you know, simple fighter pilot math, and I'm definitely not the smartest person in the room, but I could at least do some, you know, simple math. So 
15,000 buses is what the governor said, you know, we have on the roads every day. And if we added up all of those safety features, so if you took all 13 and you added up the cost of all of those, it's roughly $30,000 per bus to do all of that stuff, you know, and change. So 15,000 buses times $30,000 is $450 million. Um, and then I would, you know, say, you know, you'd probably elevate that by at least 10%. So let's just say it's $500 million, a half a billion dollars. That's not something that happens overnight, right? And he even said in his in his statement that um, somewhere between five and ten years is probably a reasonable time frame to have as many safety features as we can get on buses. And this raises another key point. Even though the working group slash task force did not recommend a mandate, what they really did do was give all of the superintendents of the school districts who have to now decide what they're going to do with this information, they kind of gave them a mandate, but it's not an unfunded mandate. Well, currently we don't have that money outlined out, but what I'm saying is they also said, let's make sure that all of the relevant agencies and the legislature work to then fund the grant program to make sure that the school districts can get what they decide that they want. And if I was a smart, um, look at it and say, well, I'm going to need to do something. And if I have a huge list of safety features that I am now potentially having to decide what I'm going to do about, I'm probably going to just ask for the money to do all of those safety features. Otherwise, I might be accepting some liability if something happens to one of the children's on the buses and someone comes back and says, well, you had a list of 13 safety features and you was injured or worse. And now you're, I feel like you're liable for that. So I just, I wanted to clarify the fact that we now have a list of safety features that really tell us what a school bus can be at its highest level of safety. And our job is to go and get the money lined out for these school districts to be able to do whatever level of safety they decide that they want to do. I expect that that's going to be a pretty high level of safety. Again, I would ask for, you know, shoot, I would be shooting for the moon if I was a, a superintendent in a school district now with this list sitting in front of me. So just that's kind of my perspective. And I expect that we're going to be able to get that money lined out to do those things for all of the school districts. And we will then truly have what I believe will be the safest vehicles on the roads that our children are getting on every day and not have to worry about this happening again in the same way. Again, you're never going to reduce accidents and, and injury and potential fatalities to zero. But, man, we could sure get a lot closer than where we are now. So it sounds like, if I'm hearing you correctly, that uh, House Bill 279 might get some amendments, that you might be taking some of these recommendations, or is that kind of the goal to to weave some of this into the legislation, possibly get it through uh, this year, maybe put it in the budget in 2025? Absolutely true. So we've already sent the recommendations that came out of the task force over to the legislative service um, and or, um, our group basically that puts together each of the bills from a legal perspective. And they are going to give us what is probably going to end up being more than just an amendment. It's probably a sub bill because it's extensively different than what we kind of had in the initial bill. And that will also then come with the, you know, the future plan of making an appropriation that will certainly go into the operating budget. But the other part of that is trying to get some of the policy and legal financial folks 
in the legislature already to figure out how and where we can find some money that is available now to open that grant program immediately and start getting these done for a school. Sorry, a school, a school district maybe who is uh, about to order new buses because they have some going out of service. Well, it would be really nice if that school district could come and say, well, you know what, I need an extra. You know, I had the money to buy my $120,000 bus, but now it's going to cost $150,000. And we find the money to make sure that those new buses, if the school district desires it, that they are already able to get those safety features on a bus. And so we're moving kind of fast on that portion. I'll be talking to some of the policy um, legal and financial folks next week about how we might be able to do that quickly. That was Representative Bernard Willis, a Republican who represents the Springfield area. Thank you so much for your time today, sir. Thanks so much for having me, Anna. Have a great day. Coming up, we're talking about the practicalities of installing seatbelts on buses and what it might cost local districts. That's when All Sides continues on 89.7 NPR News. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, we're taking center stage. Introducing NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of Black-led stories from NPR's podcasts. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to All Sides. I'm your host, Anna Staver. We're talking this hour about school bus safety and why a working group created after a fatal crash this August didn't recommend mandating seatbelts. Joining me now is Doug Palmer, Senior Transportation Consultant for the Ohio School Boards Association. Welcome to All Sides. Thank you, Anna. So I think most people know this, but it's important to remind everyone that decisions about what kind of buses to buy and when to replace them is left up to our local districts, right? That's correct. It's a local decision. And the your association doesn't take an official position on seatbelts or the working group's recommendations, right? That's correct. You're going, you say that each district should decide how they want to respond and proceed, and that school districts are free to add belts if they decide that's what they want to do. So then what kind of legislation are you hoping to see come out of this working group? Well, I think the recommendation should stay that if districts are able to manage implementing seatbelts, that they have that opportunity, along with uh, Representative Willis, who Chairman Willis, who said that uh, said that th- that's funding should be available to them. If a district feels that their operation can't manage seatbelts, then they should have the opportunity or the ability to not choose that as an option, but choose other options as higher visibility signs, uh, some of those other safety features that are in that report. So you, I guess ideally you might see it as sort of a pot of money that schools could sort of apply for grants to make certain recommended safety upgrades to their buses? Yes, that's, that's exactly right. That would be your ideal. <laughs> um, I did want to ask, so the National Transportation Safety Board, it's an independent federal agency charged with investigating plane, train, automobile accidents. They came and testified in support of mandating seatbelts on school buses. 
saying that it would provide safety in rollover crashes that you can't get from, say, compartmentalization or other safety features on buses. What do you make of the NTSB saying we should do seatbelts? I think that they've taken a good position, but what we haven't been able to receive from the federal government, NTSB or NHTSA, is how that would reduce injuries or fatalities because that information hasn't is not available for whatever reason it's not available and NHTSA fell short of recommending or mandating seatbelts because there isn't that data to support putting seatbelts in every bus uh, for the for the safety of the children because they don't have the data on what it would prevent so I'm sure, you know, anybody who has a kid in school has probably heard about the school bus shortages, especially since the pandemic in terms of finding drivers, getting enough routes. Um, a lot of drivers retired or got other jobs, didn't return. So what impact does having too few drivers have on overall safety? Overall safety is not as a concern as being able to provide convenient well-managed, timely route service to parents. And uh, I really feel for the parents that are suffering from this daily interruption in their bus service. Uh, That is not any school district's ideal situation. In fact, many of them are very, very upset that they can't provide the level of service. But the safety factor is not going to change because those drivers are all trained, they're well qualified, the vehicles are safe. It's just the lack or the ability not to be able to service every child that wants to have a bus. One of the recommendations from this task force was a wellness program specific for school bus drivers. Um, You know, is that something you guys would support or could get behind providing additional? Because I have to imagine for that driver in this fatal crash in August, it had to be just devastating. Actually, Anna, it was devastating for the whole school bus family. Every district across the state felt that impact. Uh, Transportation managers and bus drivers had a really hard time the next day going back to work because they felt that very personally, and and they are very, very in tune with what goes on. Uh, We can support all types of wellness for drivers. Uh, A lot of our drivers are in the demographic age of, you know, being older and needing more support, and from a generation that doesn't necessarily know how to ask for it. Yeah, I I did want to ask about something that I saw in, I believe it was the New York Times recently. No, it was the Washington Post. Sorry. Um, and they said there's been a shift away from school buses to parents driving. Um, and is that something we're seeing in Ohio, too, that more parents are choosing to do pickup drop-off or let an older sibling drive, that we're seeing a decli- basically a decline in bus ridership? We are seeing a decline in bus ridership, but I think that has a lot of different facets to it. Oh, no, I'm not saying it's related to the crash necessarily. No, 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 but I mean overall trend, yeah. But that overall trend is is also because what's happened since COVID with so many people being able to work from home and having Mm. a flexible schedule and being able to take their children to and from school and pick them up instead of having to deal with the bus schedule or the lack of service or just the questions that surround them. I, I don't think that it has anything to do with the crash because we've seen a gradual decline, but a drastic decline since since the COVID where people have been allowed to work from home. 
There was also a recommendation for districts to offer school bus safety orientation, do like extra education for students, parents, guardians at the beginning of each school year. What do you guys make of that idea? That's I think that's a great idea. Whenever you can educate more people about the operation, the hand signals drivers are using, where children need to stand so they can be seen both as the bus approaches and the bus departs, I think that's all a really good idea. Uh, Again, we're going to have to leave it up to individual districts on how they do that. Uh, Do they have mass media? Do they have presentations? Do they have uh, local radio stations or local TV stations that can help them? So it's going to be a local decision, I think, on how it's done. But I think it's a great idea. Yeah, I especially think of, you know, in our neighborhood, the middle school kids and the high school kids who my daughters are in elementary school, but the middle and high school kids, particularly in the winter, they're waiting for that bus in the dark. And I feel like there has to be extra considerations when you're doing these routes pre-dawn. Oh, there is. And some of the safety features that are in that report are actually what they call ground wash lights. So it actually lights up the path that the students can can travel or walk to the, from the school bus. So I think all of these safety recommendations that, that, that have been put forth, I think really increase the overall safety, not just of the bus, but also at the stop where our children really do face the biggest risk. I want to ask you a little bit about compartmentalization because it's this word I learned in the last couple of months. And without, you know, at the risk of oversimplifying, It's basically my understanding is that the seats are padded differently. And so they're designed to protect the kids in like front and rear crashes in ways that you just don't get in a regular vehicle. And because I think, you know, in my mind, it's I I get in my car, I put on my seatbelt, my seatbelt saves lives. And it, it feels sometimes like this disconnect between you, you don't need them on the school bus. Well, there's been a lot of study over this for the last, oh, gee, so back in the early 90s or even in the 80s that that this compartmentalization it's like an egg carton it keeps the kids separate from each other that's a good analogy uh also not only are the seats now padded front and rear but the seats most in most buses are offset a little bit so the children from one side of the bus can't go across and and hit the other side of the uh, the, of the children on the other side of the bus so compartmentalization has increased through the years and when they find something new, and it, and it only, if you think about all the child, child has to do is sit down and they're as safe as they can be, where there's nothing else they have to do. I mean, you know, getting children to be compliant is sometimes very difficult. And when you have children sitting 30 feet away from you, getting children to be compliant can be a, a challenging uh, operation for the school district to manage how they're going to do that. Yeah, one of the things uh, we heard throughout this process was this idea of if you're going to do mandatory seatbelts, perhaps districts need to consider putting an extra aid on the bus, not only to deal with enforcement, but in the event of a crash or an accident or, you know, God forbid, the bus catches on fire, ends in a body of water to help get those kids out of those belts and off the bus. Yes. Uh, again, we go back to that fear factor. We're, we're not in the fear business. We're in the reassurance business. I mean, the buses are built as safe as they can be. They're the most regulated vehicle out there. They're more regulated than airplanes, trains, any anything, any vehicle out there. A school bus is the most regulated vehicle, and they've done all of that with safety in mind. And so just the way the bus is designed makes it different than vans or or your or your car or or different vehicles so it, it's elevated it's it's visible you know there's a lot of things that go into that and and compartmentalization was found to be one of the 
one of the safest ways to, to make sure children are safe. And, you know, I said this in the last segment, but the day after the fatal bus crash, I had to put my kids on a bus. They're six and eight. I had to send them to school. And it hurt, right? It, it, it felt uncomfortable. I knew fundamentally they were safe. I knew they were safer than if I drove them the two and a half miles to their school. But I, I was I was afraid in a way I hadn't been before. So what do you what do you say to parents that are looking for anything that could reassure them after something like this happens? Well, if you would hear from the bus drivers, if you would be able to hear how they talk about their kids, they don't see those children. They don't see those children getting on and off the bus as students. They actually see them as their own kids. They talk about their kids. Their safety is top of mind. Everything that they do, it hurt them too. They were afraid. They were. They they saw parents being afraid. They saw that fear factor of, of are we going to make it to school on time, and if statistics just tell what happened, but it's hard to take the fear out of things. But Rational just, risk assessment is not an easy thing to do when it comes to your kids. No, it, it, that goes out the window. But uh, the school bus is a family-type job. They want your children to be as safe as you do because they feel it deep in their souls. Yeah. So it sounds like moving forward, uh, Representative Willis says that he intends to probably introduce a sub-bill, try to uh, allocate some funding Uh do you think there's a chance you guys may move from sort of a, a neutral to a yes on this? Uh, we will always be the local school district's advocate. And we're a school board's member association. And so we support the decisions that they make. There's no way that we can say one size fits all in the 600 districts that transport children. They're, they're so different. They need to be able to have that flexibility themselves. Uh, we do support, though, funding for school districts that want to choose that option. Absolutely. That was Doug Palmer, the Senior Transportation Consultant for the Ohio School Boards Association. Thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. And thank you for listening to All Sides with Anna Staver on 89.7 NPR News.